This episode is brought to you by Shopify. Whether you're selling a little or a lot, Shopify helps you do your thing, however you cha-ching. From the launch your online shop stage, all the way to the we just hit a million orders stage. No matter what stage you're in, Shopify's there to help you grow. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period at shopify.com slash special offer, all lowercase. That's shopify.com slash special offer. Rich and I dive into the Sixers game seven loss to the Atlanta Hawks. Talk about where the series went off track, the mistakes made by Doc Rivers, the hiding act by Ben Simmons, and what all of that means for the short and long-term future of the team. All right, welcome everybody. This is Derek Bodner joined by Rich Hoffman on the Sixers Beat, a part of the Athletics Podcast Network. Your 49-win Philadelphia 76ers, your top seed in the Eastern Conference. Their season is over, as everyone listening to this has already figured out. I'm not breaking any news. Lost in seven to the Atlanta Hawks. How you doing, Rich? I'm fine. I, I understand a lot of our listeners probably are not. That was one of the, That's one of the worst losses ever. Yeah. I, I'm, really, I'm really struggling to put it into context, honestly. Yeah. You know, in, in terms of NBA, in terms of Philadelphia, it's it's way up there in any way you slice it. I mean, look, we went in saying if, the, if Joel Embiid was healthy, they should win that in five, maybe six if Trey Young gets hot. Joel Embiid, he wasn't healthy, obviously, but he played like he was healthy for the most part. Trey Young didn't have a great individual scoring series. He obviously did a lot for his teammates. If you say you got a very good version of Joel Embiid and a Good, but struggling at times version of Trey Young. Like, I think their defense had some success. And you walk away losing three games on your home floor, including a game seven. That is a massive, massive disappointment and a massive underachievement. And Doc Rivers tried to spin it that it wasn't. It is. He, uh, we'll get into that in a, a bit later. Um, It was a massive underachievement. And it's disappointing. It's frustrating. It's the kind of thing that could change the direction of a franchise on a dime. I guess let's take a step back. And I'm going to strike one off. You can't You can't mention the pass. But if you have one lasting memory of that series, what is it for you? Oh, come on. You're setting me up for an easy one. The pass. No, no, no. Oh, you I, said I, the pass. I, you can't do the pass. Pass doesn't count. It's too obvious. Oh, it's too my, obvious. my brain's broken. I didn't hear your <laughs> qualifier there. Uh, okay, besides that, I think um, I, in terms of one single play, I mean. It doesn't have to be one play. It could be just one. For me, it's one repeated play, and I think that probably gives it away. One repeated play. Uh, Kevin Herter taking Seth Curry. It is Kevin Herter destroying Seth Curry over and over. And this isn't like revisionist. Like, I remember sitting there next to you going, like, throwing our hands up. Like, what in the hell is going on? You have to send some <laughs> help. This You can't. I, that 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 outcome is not going to change. He's just, yeah. Um, and I, I think I look. I think I looked at you. I tapped you on the shoulder, and I was like, "Seth is meat right uh, yeah, now." Yeah, he, he had no chance, and everybody in the building knew it, and they didn't give him enough help. And as the farther back I get, that becomes outside of the pass because that's very clearly obvious. 
that no becomes pass. A, it's it's it's, it's capital T capital P like that's the, there will be no other pass it, it, besides the pass. Um, but yeah, having Seth just get roasted over and over and over again, and that really does show the two things that really I think frustrate a lot of people in this series. You've got Ben Simmons in the past, and I took him off the table. That doesn't count. And you've got the coaching, which wasn't up to task, um, which I wasn't expecting coming in. And those to me are the two major takeaways. Yeah. And I mean, to be fair to Doc, and by the way, he is going to get a lot of heat because I haven't loved his comments afterwards either. You you also had a roster that the, the, there's too many one-way players on this team. And Seth Curry is an absolutely fantastic addition. His shooting for this entire year probably helped Embiid get to those levels, even when he was struggling in the middle of the year post-COVID. And he had one of the best shooting series I've ever seen. But yeah, I mean, that was that was really bad. And Doc did not find a way to give him any help with a lot of defensive talent um, on the team besides that. So yeah, I mean, I'm with you. Just an out-and-out catastrophe. There is a reason that nobody around the team, I think they all just kind of logged off Twitter for the last few days, which smart move, uh, really bad. I mean, it really, it took away, it's unbelievable how they they really had a very good regular season. And in the matter of a week, all of that goodwill is gone yeah. because they were that bad in the most critical moment. And they had, a, they had a, a, a solid first round of playoffs. Like that thing, I think went mostly according to script. Uh, and that second round did did not. I mean, look, they if you look it up, so the Sixers had a like a one twelve point five offensive rating, and I'm going off the top of my head here, so it might be slightly off in the regular season, which was like thirteenth. They had less than that in the second round. They had like a one eleven in the second round against that Atlanta Hawks team, which was at very best mediocre. I think they were like nineteenth or twentieth in, in in defense over the season, and they had it's not like I don't think Atlanta really did anything that was super tough to exploit like the Sixers just didn't execute Joel Embiid in the second half of the series didn't execute Tobias Harris in the second half of the series was not good enough Ben Simmons just completely turtled and I don't think they really did enough to get any of those three going offensively and it was to have look I expected their half-court offense to be a problem. I really did. And we spent most of the season being like, yeah, they're in first place in the East. I'm not sure if this half-court offense is sustainable in the playoffs against good defenses. They should have been able to walk all over that Atlanta team. And they did for the first three games of the series. Like, it was, look, again, it was going according to script outside of the first half of game one. And then everything just changed. And I still don't know if I have a complete grasp on how they just stopped executing to that degree. The offense falling off a cliff is the, you know, while there are a lot of things going on about Doc and Ben, and they are a huge part of this, that's the team story, is that the offense through the first three games of this series and the first eight games of their playoffs was cooking. They were playing great. Tobias was playing great. Obviously, Joe was playing great. In the last four games of this series, a 102.8 offensive rating. Honestly, that... that that I hadn't looked that up. That is stunning. That is stunningly bad against the defense. Again, go back to our, our pre-series discussion, and maybe we were wrong on some of it. I don't really think that we were. That was a team you should have been able to cook. Like, that was a team that shouldn't have been able to take away from the Sixers' strengths, and they just 
did. And that 102, 10 whatever, that's fucking abysmal for this day and age. That is abysmal. It's not even it's not like you're going up against the Raptors here. <laughs> I'm sorry, go ahead. No, it's it is abysmal. The the Raptors, the season they won the championship were, you know, I think Ben Taylor and a bunch of other people looked at their defense throughout the entire playoffs. They were an all time great NBA playoff defense and they had the players to prove it, you know? This team doesn't have that. No. It's, no. it's crazy. It's uh Kevin Herter and John Collins and Trey Young. Like you should have been able to I mean I mean like look, look, we'll get into Ben. I'll just say this. <laughs> ben Ben let Danilo Gallinari guard him the entire series. D- Danilo Gallinari was it wasn't even a hiding spot. It was a, a point of strength to put him on Ben Simmons because he could just stand in the lane. And Gallo, who is an awful, awful defensive player, Ben had nothing for. I, I'm not attacking Gallo. I have no answer for. And that's just, I mean, that's the whole series. And, and you know, I got to say, too, like in the last couple of games, specifically Game 7, you're watching these horrible Tobias Harris isolations. Yeah. Just absolutely horrible. And they're not running any offense. It's stagnant. It's bad. And just after every game, you hear Doc saying, we didn't run our stuff. That's your fault. That's your fault, my my man. That is, look, I I get it. The the NBA, the the playoffs, they do turn into an isolation fest. That's why we always say you need that great perimeter offensive player. At some point, you just can't run plays to, to make up for that. This was not that point. You should be able to execute against this team with what the Sixers had and what the Hawks had, which were a ton of terrible defensive players. Terrible. It, uh, yeah, I mean, it was a calamity on a million fronts. And, uh, yeah, it's, it's one that, uh, you know, it's, it's funny. I was thinking about this today. I'm sure that the, the venom will soften with time for all of these individuals in this team. It always will. And by the way, there's no way it couldn't go down after the last day because they got absolutely roasted by everybody from Philadelphia to national media. And hey, by the way, the other thing I don't want to hear, it's like the the people that are saying, well, well, Philadelphia, they're going to run this team out of town. Like Philadelphia is not handling this well. This was an all-time collapse by players on this team, Ben Simmons, and this team. There is no fan base or city or anything that would handle this well. Get out of here. So no, the, off track there. the only fan base that handles this well is a disinterested fan base. And that's not what you want. Any fan base that was actually invested in this team that watched them win 49 games in a 72-game season and lead the Eastern Conference, have the MVP runner-up, have the Defensive Player of the Year runner-up, they would have had sky-high expectations and they would have held them accountable for coming up small. And that's like, they really, really came up small. Um, Yeah. You should be frustrated. You should be able to voice that frustration respectfully, of course. But yeah, that was, that was bad. It's bad. You know what I was thinking too? The, the, this is a team that, and I don't necessarily mean this as an insult at all times. This is a very good front running team. Usually not this series because they, they blew a gigantic lead, but they, you know, they finally face a little bit of adversity this season. It's not crazy adversity. It's like, oh, the Hawks are playing pretty well. It's still the Atlanta Hawks, and they can't get over the hump. And I agree and with what Daryl— That's from your best players, too. Like, that's from Joel yeah. going iso hero ball and Tobias going iso hero ball and Ben going turtle. And that's from your best players. It's from the players who got you there. 
I mean, honestly, the guy who who had the best moment against adversity this entire season was Tyrese Maxey yeah. in Game Six. And like we said in the previous pod, it, he might just be too young to to know what he got himself into. Yeah, and he's not he's not developed enough to have that every night. Like he didn't have a good Game Seven. No, which is fine. Again, yeah, I, I, we're very consistent rookie. on we're very consistent on Tyrese Maxey. He, he had a, a nice season. Uh, so I, I agree with Daryl Morey though in that the way the Sixers played this series, even if they had won Game Seven. I think they would have gotten their ass kicked in the next. Oh round, yeah, which I, is, I, I texted, I texted Spike, and like people don't want to hear it, but it's what I felt like. Even if they win, they're losing in five. I don't, I have no confidence in the squad right now. Yeah, and that's that's disappointing. And look, you you want that opportunity. I, I don't think losing game seven was necessarily a good thing, but it was certainly it was even more revealing. I gotta say, yeah, I mean, it was. And like this they, was a team that wasn't even close to a title contender. No, and they could have turned it around. Like maybe Joel, Joel starts feeling better with some time off if they could have closed out the Hawks quickly, which at one point when they were up two to one and had a huge game four lead, it looks like they might've been able to close out the series quickly. Maybe they get some rest. Maybe Ben Simmons regains his confidence and they have a chance against the Bucks. but like the way they were playing, no, they had, they had no chance, no chance. So yeah, I think uh, to, to wrap it all up, uh, just kind of the general thoughts, it was bad guys. It was really bad. That, I mean, look, it, if you're a fan, that's to, to me is the most frustrating series during this era, by far, by far. I think during any it's, era. I mean, it's not like the Sixers have played a lot of high-profile basketball pre-process, but yeah, it's, uh, it's been a, like I'll, I'd have to really dig into the banks to go previous. If era. you told me, if you told me it was their highest-profile defeat Collapse. or like most frustrating yeah. one since I don't Barkley. know the '80s. Yeah, yeah, since the '80s. Yeah, I, I would absolutely believe that. How many times was Barkley even a a favorite in a series? I feel like that team wasn't. I don't know. They, would they make the second round a couple times? Yeah, yeah. They always, they always lost to like saying? the Knicks this or is, the Bulls. What are we saying? This is if you're like 40 years old, this is absolutely the worst loss you've ever seen. In, in part because you never get to the playoffs in your yeah. lifetime. Um, yeah. All right. So I guess do we want to go to Doc's comments or Doc's decisions first? Let's do decisions first. I mean, the game one coming out with Green was I, I cost him the game, not helping Seth enough. Was we already talked about that? Very frustrating and predictable. The bench, holy shit! Unlike, look, I, I get like he was probably going to run a seven man rotation for all of it. I do think a ten man rotation in Game Seven is a bit much, but like the Dwight stuff. I mean, look, go back midway through the season. We're talking like February on this podcast. We said I like I'm worried that Dwight Howard is going to be this this year's Montrez. I think Dwight Howard was this year's Montrez. He had no chance defending in that series. If he has no chance defending in, you already start off. Okay. So Dwight and Matisse make bench lineups offensively pretty much a disaster. You can't put, even when Ben's playing well, you can't put Ben with them. Um, you know, going in, they're not going to score points. And whether you go with the Tobias and bench units, the all bench units, the Ben and bench units, none of them throughout the season have scored points. If, um, Dwight, I'm like completely lost here. If Dwight can't defend like he usually can, and I think in this matchup he couldn't, and it was very clear early on, it was very clear going in, you have a massive problem. And I give Daryl a bit of blame here. I mean, we talked about the backup center and not having a stretch five all season. Um, so I give him some blame. Maybe there wasn't a move out there to help. Um, I do think theoretically that Tony Bradley for George Hill should have helped more than it did. And I guess we can get and, into George Hill in a bit too. 
And like you said, the the idea of getting the stretch five back up center would be to let Ben loose, and I'm not sure that was even going to happen. No, I'm not sure that was even going to happen anyway. But even even defensively, I would make an argument that Ben Simmons at the five with four wing players would have held up better defensively against the Hawks because, again, they weren't going against, like Dwight Howard was not matched up with Clint, Clint Capella much. Rebounding wasn't a huge problem. What The Hawks don't have a lot of, they don't attack the rim. They don't put pressure on the rim. You don't really need shot blocking the way you normally do. What you need are some big, active, mobile, like-sized defenders who can defend Atlanta's bevy of spot-up shooting tall forwards. I think Ben at the five would have helped. Not only would it have helped unlock Ben a little more, not only would it have been a little bit easier to put another ball handler on alongside Ben, but I think it would have competed defensively. Maybe it wouldn't. I don't know. Like Ben at the five hasn't been great, but I think this is the matchup where Dwight at the five wasn't going to work. I think this was a matchup where Ben at the five had the best chance of working. And the fact they didn't try, they just didn't try. They just kept running out the same lineup that didn't freaking work all series long. It was very frustrating to me. So the numbers on that, the, uh, the third most used lineup, if you go to NBA stats for the, uh, for the playoffs, this is 34 minutes. The Sixers had it is a uh, it is a George Hill, Shake Milton, Matisse Thybul, Tobias Harris, Dwight Howard lineup. Played 34 minutes together. They had a minus 15.6 net rating, and the big problem there is a 94.3 offensive rating Oof. with that group, which is just awful. Yeah, and I mean, I, this is the concern with Doc. You know, we we talked about this the entire year where talked about this before the year with uh, Tim Cato. Not Tim Cato, Johan. Uh, yeah, got Tim on the mind because he just wrote a big story. Um, yeah, we, we we talked about this before the year. Like he has his regular season system; it works. He can be a little slow to ju- adjust off of that, and I certainly think we saw that here in this series. They just didn't have any answers outside of what they did in the regular season. His his only adjustment was, okay, bench guard X is not playing well. Right, let's, let's throw try in the other bench, bench guard, guard. Y. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> But in terms of, you know, shifting the, you know, the makeup of the team, getting more versatile, just trying stuff, he didn't do anything. And that's, that's bad. But it's also a product of, you know, he had this one thing that I think worked for the most part in the regular season and he just kept sticking to it. And I, I completely agree with you. I mean, those Dwight minutes. It was, it was a little Budenholzer-esque. Not this year, previous years, where you have a system, it works, you don't experiment enough, and the playoff comes and you're not prepared for it. As you all know by now, we've teamed up with BetMGM this season. We'll be using the BetMGM lines to make all our picks, and we'll have special offers for our listeners each week. If you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TABasketball, and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic. Plus... Up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager with BetMGM. Here's how it works. Download the BetMGM app and sign up using bonus code TABasketball. Make your first deposit of at least $10. Place your first bet on any game. Claim your voucher for a one-year subscription to The Athletic. 21 plus to wager. Visit BetMGM.com for terms and conditions. U.S. promotional offers not available in D.C., Nevada, New York, and Ontario. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. In Colorado, D.C., Illinois, Indiana, Louisiana, Maryland, Massachusetts, New Jersey, Ohio, Pennsylvania, Tennessee, Virginia, West Virginia, and Wyoming. Call 1-877-8-HOPE-NY or text HOPE-NY. Call 1-800-NEXT-STEP in Arizona. 1-800-522-4700 in Kansas and Nevada. 1-800-327-5050 in Massachusetts. 1-800-BETS-OFF in Iowa. 1-800-270-7117 for confidential help in Michigan. 
partnership with Kansas Crossing Casino and Hotel. In Ontario, if you have questions or concerns about your gambling or someone else close to you, please contact Connects Ontario at 1-866-531-2600 to speak to an advisor free of charge. Sports betting is void in Georgia, Hawaii, and Utah, and other states where prohibited. Promotional offers not available in Nevada and New York. Don't forget, if you haven't signed up for BetMGM yet, use the bonus code TA Basketball and you'll get a one-year subscription to The Athletic, plus up to a $1,000 first bet offer on your first wager. Yep. And, uh, I mean, those Dwight minutes, I-, I think he was only like minus five in Game 7, only minus five. But that's it's a good snapshot, the way I describe that of how bad those minutes were. You were just hanging on for dear life, hoping to not get destroyed in those minutes. And that's no way to go about a playoff series. It's just, uh, I mean, it, it was really bad. And I, I think I think Daryl deserves a decent amount of blame sure. for that too. Like yep. he just, he did not give Doc a ton of other good options outside of that. But I have, you know, like look, after watching that series, I have very little faith in, Doc Rivers, by the way, who an offense-minded coach, to not be able to, you know, you're having Seth Curry shoot really well for the most part. Embiid did slow down in the fourth quarters of these games, and I, I think that's not that's not all on Doc. Like you need your best player, and, and Simmons was a a massive problem. I mean, I think that that's something that needs to be considered too when you're talking about Doc. That said, Doc didn't solve anything, and. uh yeah, and it's another another tough playoff loss for him. And then and then like you said, the comments he made after the game didn't like it. No, and like the most egregious was to me bringing up the previous year. I don't have the exact quote in front of me. I'll try, I'll find it while you're talking. But he said, I, um, you know, this is a he said, "Listen, this is a team that got swept in the first round last year. I'm not going to make this a negative." Which is completely disingenuous. Like that team had gone to the second round two out of three seasons before that, um, or the two previous seasons before that. They didn't get to the second round in large part because Ben Simmons wasn't available. This is a team right now has Seth Curry and Danny Green and Ben Simmons that were not available to that team last year. It's been overhauled pretty substantially. The goal wasn't to get to the second round of the playoffs, Doc. The goal was to get beyond the second round of the playoffs, which your predecessor couldn't do. And to get the one seed and lose to the Hawks, and look, I'm not, uh, I'm not, I'm not killing the sentiment. Like he could, he could have been like, "Look, we did some good things this year, right. but we ultimately fell short." But to just be like, and maybe "Hey, look, man, short. I, right, right. I came in and saved this thing." Right. You know, I, it's just no, completely no, disingenuous and dog shit, and just not what the fan base wants to hear. It's not what the, and it's not true. It's not true. It's not true. And also, look, this was a crazy regular season where teams were being wiped out. Due to COVID for half a year. And that's not to say, look, the, the Sixers, they faced their own share of uh, adversity, especially with Embiid getting hurt in the middle of the year. But, but I mean, the idea of, I don't know, it just felt like uh, he was very, he was very proud of his, his coaching job this season where like, how dare you question me? This team got out of the, couldn't get out of the first, couldn't win a game in the playoffs last year. It's and not- he, but he said the entire year too, like, look, it, it's nice that we got the number one seed, but we're playing for a lot more right. than that. That and is a a means to an end. I just thought his perspective was was so bad. He and, he went into like uh, he needs to save his ass mode right away. It was yeah, didn't like it. it no, I I haven't seen that from a coach here, and that's uh, look, he's got a big he's got a big resume. He's uh, 
he's a big personality as far as coaches are concerned. He's got a lot of, I guess, clout in the league. That's what a lot of people said. But this is, uh, I don't know, the the response to some adversity here, both on the court and off the court. I wasn't, uh, I wasn't crazy. Doc, Doc Rivers did not cover himself in glory the past week, week and a half. Dwight Howard, a negative, hold on, negative 12.5 net rating in 69 minutes. They got outscored by 23 points in 69 minutes. That's not, it's not, it's not great. No. Especially when, like, what, if you add up all the four Sixers, four losses, how many did they lose by total? Uh, what we got? Three. I'm going to do some math in, on the fly right here. Yeah. Four, three, three, and seven. So that's what seventeen points over four games. Little yeah, shit matters. Tough. It's tough. It's it, the good thing is that nobody is blaming Dwight, which is no, it's I'm, not. I'm, his, I'm happy for it. It's not yeah, his fault. It's not his fault. He he probably could have played in a in a series late in the playoffs if there was another if there was like a backup big guy like if they played the Clippers in the finals and Boogie Cousins was playing against yeah. him. I think he realistically could have played against him. But he's a situational player. Look, he was available for the veterans minimum for a reason. You know, right. he's he's a situational player who I think for the most part had a very positive effect on the on the Sixers this year. But to not have a a backup plan to the backup center is just you need that in, in the modern NBA. And he was a situational player who they treated as a solution yeah. all season. And in the regular season, he mostly was. But it was predictable that he wouldn't be in the in the playoffs. It would be like if I said, "Hey, Rich." my sink isn't working. Come over here and fix it. Or you're fired. Like, that's not, that's not your job. That's not your skill. I mean, maybe it is. Maybe you're a handyman. I don't know. Um, no, but it no. would be completely unfair to put your job on the line for that. I don't blame I'm a, Dwight. I'm a all. minus 60. Yeah. Fixing, I'm not, I'm not a fixing sinks, not. man. I'm pretty bad. Some electronic shit I can get by with, but not a, not house shit. Um, which brings me into some all off season to do list. But anyway, uh, yeah, a very, very frustrating series from Doc. And quite frankly, like, they failed in ways I didn't expect them to. I didn't expect to be having... Like, I, there were some adjustments I was concerned about, specifically Dwight. We spent all year worried about the Dwight adjustment. The offensive struggles, I did not. I did not. I just did not see coming. I did not see coming at all. They maybe. came out of nowhere, and you would think maybe after a game, maybe two, he would put his foot down and say, all right, let's get back on track. And it just never happened. And that... To a large degree, that's his responsibility. And Yeah, it's not like we're going to blame a lot on Ben, who's next topic of this podcast. He, and, 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 and Ben deserves the most blame. He deserves more sure, than Doc. For sure. But that was not the entirety of the Sixers' offensive struggles. It no. went way, way beyond that. And it did go in part to Joel. Uh, you know, he was not nearly as good outside of that first half of game, what was it, game five, when he came out on fire? Yeah. yeah, first half of game five. Outside of that, he was not nearly as good in four, five, six, or seven. Uh, I don't know how much of that was knee. I don't know how much of that was frustration. I don't know how much of that was bad decision-making. He had 21 turnovers in the last three games, which is hashtag not great. Yeah. But it, it, like, the offensive failure goes everywhere. It goes everywhere with this team. I mean, Tobias missing a ton of bunnies in oh game seven. Oh, my God. That he had so many good looks. It was, yeah, that was... <laughs> And that's probably the one that I blame the least, not necessarily Tobias, because I think some of his decision making in games five and six were not great. But the, the the layups that he just he couldn't he couldn't make transition half court didn't matter if he got to the rim, he was missing it, which was not a not ideal. 
You did point it out. He just has some stretches where every he layup can't make is a, a complete he goes, adventure. He turns into Robert Covington at the worst times. It's amazing. Yeah. And I love uh, love Cove, but like a layup, I'd rather have Cove shooting a contested three than a layup. Yeah, and I'd rather have Tobias make his layups instead of instead of miss them. Yeah, it's I don't know. Th- those were a lot of great shots in Game Seven, and I, uh, you know, I think a lot of the the problems we can talk about are more process errors like the just predictable things that went wrong i don't know i thought tobias's process was okay it just didn't make the shots which is yeah I mean, still very frustrating certainly but, in game seven yeah. certainly in game seven all right let's go to the turtle sized elephant in the room is so, uh you go ahead i don't i feel like it's the only topic we're going to talk about for the next four weeks so start it off on however you want no, I'm going to ask you something quickly. Um, do you think this is the most damaging series for an individual player in recent NBA history? That's a great question. Certainly in terms of a player's psyche, yeah. But in terms of like league-wide perception and trade value. <clears throat> Throwing out injuries, like career debilitating injuries. Yeah. I would struggle to find one that's more damaging, yeah. So the only one I could think of, when I think of like a damaging individual series, and this is on a completely different level, the one that always comes to mind to me is the one where LeBron choked against Dallas in the finals. Sure. But he was still LeBron. Skip Bayless had a field day with that one, yeah. Yeah, and he couldn't, you know, there was the joke, he couldn't post up J.J. Barea and all of those things. But he was still the greatest player in the world right. at that time. But, you know, I guess at that point, there was a lot of noise surrounding, is this guy ever going to be able to, you know, break through? It sounds silly now. He's got four titles. He's made the finals pretty much every year since then. But uh, that that's the only other one I can think of. In terms of just like an, an all-star player, though, I, you know, I guess Paul George had some rough series the last couple of years <laughs> in a rough game last night with the with the free throws, but... I don't know. This this feels different than than most things, and it's I don't know. It was rare. Like I think you saw just general media on Monday. Ben Simmons got crushed in a way you just don't normally see, and I'm not, I'm not saying it wasn't deserved. It just uh, well, he he's an interesting player because for years he's had people who do not like his game and do not like his personality, and have been very strongly on one side, and then you have the other side who has defended him and likes his defense and likes his passing and likes what he brings. And I think even the people who have defended him have now struggled to defend him over the last week. The people who previously didn't like him are having a field day. So it has become very, very, very one-sided. And I do think that will tilt a little bit back here a month from now, but I don't know if it's tilting all the way back. I don't know if he's getting all of his supporters back. And he's certainly the people who didn't like him before are not switching sides. Um, It'll be, look, do I think there's a chance Ben Simmons is traded this summer? Yes, of course. Do I think it's a foregone conclusion? No, I don't, I no. truthfully don't know. Because I don't, and I, I wrote this, we wrote a, um, we re- recapped Daryl Morey's press conference uh, on an article last night. And I wrote this and it's like, first of all, I don't think Daryl is going to trade it. Like, I, I don't think Daryl gives one shit about fan sentiment right now. Um, he's going to do what he thinks is best for the team and with Ben's trade value so tanked 
And look, GMs watch the playoffs. Like there would be no way to watch Ben Simmons the past week or two and say, I know what we're going to get from him in the playoffs. You just, you can't do it. His trade value is definitely lower than it was two months ago. Certainly lower than it was two years ago. And does, I think in order for Daryl to trade him, I don't think he's going to come into the off season. He spent, Daryl spent a lot of time in his press conference yesterday talking about, you can't come, come into something with a goal or a, a priority, or we have to do this in mind. And he wasn't talking about Ben Simmons when he said that. He was talking about, like, do you need more perimeter shot creation, I think was specifically the context. But I think it implies to Ben Simmons too, or applies to Ben Simmons too. I don't think he's going to come into this offseason and say, I have to trade Ben. Because if you do that, you're going to get fleeced. And you're going to get fleeced bad. And the Sixers just don't have enough assets to be able to take 20 cents on the dollar for Ben Simmons and still put enough talent around Joel Embiid to win a title. Does that mean Ben he's, Simmons is going to be on the team long term? I don't know that either. But there is a world where Daryl Morey doesn't get the trade that he wants. And Ben Simmons could suit up for game one, for sure. He is their last big card they have to play. And we would have said this before he melted down in this series. I mean, the last big trade that they can make, now maybe they could package some picks together and mortgage their future or something like that. But in terms of what they have on the roster or other people's picks or whatever, they have one big card left to play before you're looking at Embiid. Yeah. So I, I agree with you. I, I think, you know, give it give it some time. It, it's not going away, the, the stink of this series, but it'll certainly, the volume will will lower a little bit. Just just natural that uh, that it does. And I look, uh, Go ahead. No, go ahead. I felt like I talked over you a lot there. Um, no, I agree with you. I think when you look at what his trade value is now, I, I, I frankly, at this point, I understand that he still has a lot of talent, but how can anybody who has any aspiration of playing playoff basketball view that as even a positive value contract at this point? He can help you get to the playoffs, but once you see what he has done, and this is not just this season. I mean, no. this season is the the cherry on top of the shit sandwich of the Ben Simmons playoff experience. But, uh, I mean, it's been bad for years in, in the same predictable ways. So, I, you know, I don't know. If, if you are a another GM, you know, I think that the thing I, I keep hearing is, like, they, they have TV, too. Yeah. They were watching the games, you know. TNT, I'm pretty sure it's in every market that... Uh, that GMs uh, GMs have so yeah it's a uh, it's an interesting thing though man like I, I understand the point I, I know after the game emotions are high but I do understand the reaction of like he can't play another game in Philadelphia again sure. because this was that bad um, but I also understand that Maury should not be caving to those emotions and and whatever if the right deal does not pop up. And look, it is completely fair to think, well, Daryl's asking price had to have gone down after that series, in part because what he was asking for before will probably never be on the table again, um, barring Ben coming back and having a good playoff run. And really, that's what it's going to take. Like Ben could come out and do whatever he wants in a regular season. I don't think his trade value is going to be really rehabilitated by next year's trade deadline because I think it's, it's going to take having to do that in the playoffs for anyone to really buy into it and against good playoff competition, not just the first round. Uh, so I think it's perfectly reasonable to say, well, Daryl's 
demands have to have dropped. His willingness to have to move him, you would assume, has gone up. That doesn't mean he's going to get something he thinks actually moves them closer to a championship winner. And it's not great. Like, I, I wrote in a column the night the season ended. And it was really about how the organization over the last five to six years has failed Embiid. But in that, I wrote that they're less flexible than they've ever been. And I had some people through DMs like sort of push back on that. Um, and look, that, and I think Daryl might have sort of referenced it when he said there are 25, 26 teams who would love to be in in the position that six are in, which I don't think is contradictory because when you have an MVP candidate, um, there are a lot of teams that would trade places with you. But my my the whole thing was that this, the Joel Embiid, the way he's developed and improved, deserves more, deserves a championship caliber supporting cast, and the Sixers haven't given that to him. And I think now they are less flexible to put that supporting cast around him than they ever have been. And I got some pushback on that in part because of Maxi's development, in part because they don't have the negative contracts of Horford uh, around anymore. Um, Oof, which which that's, I, a of, that's a lot of pressure on Maxi. That is a lot of pressure on Maxi. And look, does Maxi help? Yeah, he helps not only because he gives you something you've never had in terms of shot creation, but he also helps because he could be a trade chip, which nobody wants to hear, but he's worth far more than he was when he was the 21st pick in the draft. That's true. That being said, when you start talking about having the the chips to build a championship caliber team around Joel Embiid, the tanking of Ben Simmons' trade value, to me, outweighs that by an order of magnitude. So, okay, now let's say you've, you've come to the conclusion that Ben Simmons isn't good enough to be the second best player on a championship team alongside Joel Embiid. And I think that alongside Joel Embiid is certainly important. We spent an entire series watching Joel Embiid double and triple team because Ben Simmons defender was in his lap right from the jump. If you've come to that conclusion, now is the worst time to trade Ben Simmons. Uh, And Daryl is going to have his work cut out for him. It's not going to be easy to navigate. There might be a world where the Sixers, in order to be the best team, don't trade Ben Simmons, which would be... I, if that gives you anxiety, I, I, I sort of get it. Um, I would love for Ben to go put in the work and really figure this out and come back next year, a different player and come back a confident player. Why would I have any confidence that's going to happen? Yeah. And I, and with doc saying that he is confident and look, I, I, I'm actually not going to kill him about this. It's his first year. He should feel like you know, most coaches step in. And that's, that's part of the reason why maybe you do end up finding a, a taker for Ben that will give you value because a lot of coaches have a sort of irrational confidence that they have the right bu- buttons to push. They have the right well, way to get him to realize his full potential. Well, and I yeah. Think, and, what, and whatever you think about Ben, he still has talent. There, there's a finite 100%. amount of talent in the NBA. 100%. So, you know, there are these teams that, and it's it's tough to acquire that talent. That's why teams tank, and that's why uh, you know teams plan around opening cap space to try and make a splash for these major free agents. For you know they make that like a four year plan. Um, so you know with talent being tough to come by, there is definitely a world in which the right team for Daryl Morey this offseason that has the right return package talks himself into Ben Simmons and thinks, okay. you know, they can they can get the most out of him. So I, I don't think that that's a, a crazy uh, idea. And, and I think you got it right. Like, is there a world in which Ben Simmons is traded this offseason? Yeah, absolutely. I, I think the Sixers will, will look to do it if they can find the right trade. Um, probably, they'll probably push harder than they did even before. But, but it has to be the right one. 
So, so going back to Doc's comments, though, the idea that he is the person that's going to fix Ben Simmons. He's like, I, I've been here for a year. I know what the right move is. That's a tough sell. I, I, and it's yeah. not, I'm, I'm not killing Doc on that because th- this is more of a Ben problem than him. But the idea that Doc is the person after, look, I mean, the Sixers, they've had NBA coaches for years try and fix this. They've had competent people for years, like, understand what Ben's issues are in the half court. And they just haven't done anything. He, they haven't gotten through to him. And Doc, the other part of it, too, is Doc, again, like, he, he really tried to pump Ben up this year and pretend nothing was wrong with him. And it didn't work at all. Do you remember that one press conference where he's like, you guys can focus on what he doesn't do. I'll focus on what he does. And that's that's a larger portion of the Ben Simmons discourse of the talk about what he's good at, where I think this series is probably the end of that. I think even the biggest Ben Simmons defenders can say, we're not going to just keep screaming at you that he's good at this stuff because it's clear his inability to score on the half court against a set defense for a myriad of reasons is a major problem when it actually matters. And so so I look at this Ben thing in a couple of uh, ways when it comes to what we just witnessed, which was just excruciating. It was painful to watch. The the pass, that that is a broken person in terms yeah. of how he's processing the court is just not even looking at the rim. It's, I think on some level you can feel bad for Ben. You can, you can sure. have some empathy because 100%. it is clear that for whatever reason, a doc, I was surprised he mentioned the, the family stuff and, and he was so open about how that could have been a part of it, which like, look that I can't even imagine going through that. If, um, you know, if I was Ben, you add in that, you add in the fact that he couldn't make his free throws. I think you can feel a decent amount of empathy for this guy. He just went through, you know, an an out-of-body experience almost. It was just he, he was not, it was like he was not present on the court. He did not want to be there. That is one part of it, and, and that is fair. The other part in which I think if you're a teammate or his coaches. And if, especially if you're a teammate like Joel Embiid, who has been there for Ben Simmons' entire career, where you can have almost no sympathy for him, is that he has had this same problem for four years. The Boston Celtics in 2018 gave him the playbook on, hey, like in the playoffs, you're not going to be as good playing this one style. And the quote, I, I said this last time, but the one that always sticks out to me is, you need to move outside your comfort zone. What MB, which is what Embiid said passive-aggressively, and he never did it. Yep. Now, now maybe, you know, and I think he kind of skated by the last two playoffs because one of them, they had Jimmy Butler, so people were kind of less concerned about the fact that he was rather uninvolved offensively. And the other one, he was hurt for. And that is, the weird thing about Ben Simmons is that you can say, in that Boston Celtics series in the bubble, A, the Sixers missed him, and B, he was lucky he didn't play in that series. Because he would have been really bad offensively. Yeah. Um, and I think both of those statements are true. But uh, at this point, like, look, I, it, it's funny that, like, he did the thing. 
it, it felt like he wouldn't shoot or he wouldn't go to the line to avoid going out of that comfort zone, to avoid these small humiliations. And what he got at the end of it was the greatest humiliation of all, and that is that he surrendered in a playoff series against a team that wasn't even that good. And uh, I'm sorry, like, I think for the most part, when you look at what his last three years are like, if I was his teammate or I was his coach, that would be absolutely maddening to me. Yeah. And I mean, that's part of the reason why what we talked about before a season was, hey, this, the number one thing I care about with Ben Sims this year is his free throw attempts, because that goes back to his confidence and whether or not he's going to attack. Um, what happened, look, there is a normal limitations Ben Simmons imposes on you, which is the complete lack of shooting and the fact that he won't attack at times. And those have real impacts on the Sixers half court offense all the time. And then there's whatever happened to him here in the last three weeks, where once he started getting intentionally fouled really by Scott Brooks in that first series, it completely changed his confidence and that completely changed his game. It ratcheted up his lack of aggression to the nth degree. And do I still think that the free throw thing should be able to be fixed? Yes. And how differently would this series have gone if he could have shot 60% from the line instead of 30 or whatever he shot? It's, it's impossible to know. He might've come out and been the at least normal regular season Ben that can still be frustrating, but you can at least win with. And there's part of me that says, all right, well, look, let's say he gets, becomes a 60, 65% free throw shooter consistently has actually a little bit of confidence in that. If Markel would have worked out, like, is there a world where Embiid and Simmons could work together? I'm still not completely given up on that dream, but after watching what we watched and the way that the confidence really got to him, I have no, just no confidence that it's going to be realized and no confidence that they're going to have the chips to get Ben into the role he needs to be while putting the rest of the talent around Joel. And you are getting the point. Look, Joel is 27. It's not super old, but you just don't have all that many ways to get a championship caliber core around him. You have to investigate everything at this point. Everything. Well, and Doc said before the year that he set the goal for Ben to shoot 10 free throws per game. He shot 4.9 free throws per game, which is less than the previous two years. It's about the same if you look at it on a permanent basis. He played a few less less minutes per game. This guy, if you can't shoot, you need to be the most confident rim attacker in the world. You need to be going downhill at all times. And he is so unbelievably far away from that to the point where he was scared to play a playoff series. Um, I don't know. It's, it's tough. I, I gotta say though, like as much as we talk, like the idea of, Hey, they they just need him attacking and getting to the rim. Look, I, I agree. That would be a better version of Ben Simmons. If they can get him going to the rim. It, it, man, if he can't shoot, he's useless off the ball. I, and that's a huge problem. And huge problem. You know, that's why when everyone's like, oh, we'll just make him the power forward. Okay. What does that fucking I, solve? I think that that is the most overblown thing in now, the world. Yeah. Look, I, I agree would, he, would like, he be better if there was a real elite shot creator next to him? Yes. No, I think the team would be better. I don't yes. think he would. No, be he better. wouldn't. Be, that, that's fair. That's fair. The team would be better. That's what I meant. There's a difference. So it's like. Well, if you bring in a real point guard, like if, if you could get like, you know, a Damian Lillard level point guard, yeah, no shit, the team would be better if they yeah, had that. Yeah. But it it would make him better. Frankly, he would be even less active off the ball. And if you had a player like that, 
I, I think like his stats would take a hit. Kind of the the cheap assists that he gets would would sure. take a hit. I, the idea that you could just move him to another position, and, and that'll make him a better player somehow. It, it, I, I think that's a little bit. I think that's overblown. The the idea of he's a, he could be a power forward on a championship team. Yeah, but but that has to do with the quality of the player you're bringing in. It doesn't yep. doesn't have to do with how he's used because there's no way to use him if he can't shoot at all off the ball. There's no way. Centers shoot in the NBA now. The hardest thing to guard in the NBA is five out. So if you have a power forward who can't shoot off the ball, again, I'm just saying like that can't be no, brushed over. Like this was the the fact that he just struggled so much mentally in this series. That that's bad. Even if his his mental, as he would say, is is in the right place and he gets that, you know, gets that better and he starts shooting more free throws. There he could be the most confident guy in the world. You're, you're still going to run into a wall at some point in the next two rounds. Yep. It's yep. hard. I, I, and I, here is where I also feel a little bit bad for him. If he got drafted by another team where he was the star of the team, I'm not saying he would be considered like the greatest player in the world, but if he played for Indiana or something like that, a team that really their only goal was to make the playoffs, maybe they win a series once in a while. Yep. And he can play this, you know, this this style. I, and by the way, notice that I'm not saying give him five shooters, you have a championship. Because that, again, that's no. that's gone too. You have a playoff but if he's team. Just, if he's just playing in a less pressure-filled environment, the, the conversation around him is difficult. Unfortunately, he plays with Joel Embiid, who you have no business not being at least in the championship conversation with Joel Embiid playing like this right now. And so yeah. the expectation is how much can you help us win a championship? And unfortunately, he absolutely killed them. I mean, he he if you want to say he single-handedly lost in the series, that's not true, but he might as well have. <laughs> yeah. Um no, I mean he's he's look, he's I still think he's a top 30 player in the league. Um but he does look a lot more like a floor raiser right now than a ceiling raiser. Uh, especially when you talk about Joel Embiid and what he needs as a uh, as a as a teammate, as a team constructed around him, and I think the way you said that, if he was in Indy and they were trying to make the playoffs and be exciting, be a good defensive team, I think he has a lot to fill in that role. But you're trying to build a champion around Joel Embiid, and not being able to shoot, not being willing to shoot, not being able to take a free throw, not being able to handle the ball late in games was all very debilitating. And going back to your point, like. I feel for him too. Like this is, look, I have, these are complex human beings that we treat as objects on a basketball court. Like they're 2K players. They're not, they're complex human beings. And I have some aspects of my life that I am supremely confident in, probably to the point of borderline cocky. I have other aspects where if you saw that and was on public display, you'd wonder how I'm a functioning human being. There's, we all have our strengths and weaknesses. He just happens to be confident or lack confidence, like a debilitating lack of confidence in a one area that's crucial for his job and b one area that is on extreme public display and nobody. And look, I, I do think Ben has put in work here over the last couple of years. I do wonder whether or not he has been open and receptive to the wild wide scale changes that he needs to get to that point. And I think there's some hesitance and some friction there, but I don't think he's completely oblivious to the fact that he can't shoot. And that that has an impact. He might push back at times that, hey, I'm my strengths are being glossed over. 
but I think he understands that he has this weakness. I mean, look, that player on the court was keenly aware that he couldn't shoot a free throw. That's part of the problem. Um, I feel, I do feel some level of sympathy for him, but you do also then have to be like, okay, well, how do we realistically approach this? How do we solve this? How do we deal with this? And it's, uh, it's tough. It's tough. I think the only step forward for him, the, the only optimistic view you can say is when you hit rock bottom like this, failure has to be the, the greatest motivating factor Didn't ever. Didn't we say that in 2018 though? I, in look, 2019? Look, I agree, but this is different. This, this it is, is different. It is different. Th- that was, oh, Ben Simmons, not quite as good in the playoffs. Let's talk about Brett Brown. 2019, ah, Ben Simmons wasn't that involved, but Jimmy Butler was great, and Kawhi, what a shot. You know, it's like one of those things. Last year, it was, uh, they missed Ben Simmons in the playoffs. They, they, they kind of missed him. So honestly, it felt like he kind of skated by this issue to a degree that, that he probably shouldn't have. But just because the way the playoffs kind of worked the last few years, yeah, you would, you would think. Like, honestly, I, I agree with you. I thought 2018 should be all of the motivating factor he needed to, uh, to get better to this point. But, dude, this is rock bottom. I mean, this is way worse than that. This was, this was public. This was to a worse team. I mean, it's tough. <sighs> we got the, got the draft in what four weeks, five weeks, a little yeah. over four weeks. I not ready well, to talk about the draft yet. No, and and one other thought on Ben. I mean, it's just this team; they can't have anything normal happen to them. No, they can't. They can't. I, Markel, even, even Markel forgot how to shoot. George Hill came here; he didn't want to shoot. Not that George he was, was ever so a, a big shooter, but like he, he averaged like two points per game in a playoff or in a second round and shot thirty percent. Markel didn't know how to shoot. Okafor wasn't good. I mean, we could just go back, you know, Colangelo with his burners, Noel Adam shit Silver, all over his apartment, all these things, and then you have a guy in Ben who, look for a number one overall pick is not a bust. He he's had a nice career so far. He's made All Star teams, all of these things. But even he has this fatal flaw that has this super embarrassing moment that really is kind of unprecedented in the NBA. And I don't know. It's just, I, until this is. How do you end up with. Have, I don't know. They have a post up center and they have a monopoly on point guards who can't shoot. It's amazing. It's amazing. And Markel could. Oh, I don't need to get into Markel. Oh, that's a depressing one. I, I, you got anything else? I'm not even sure what else I got. I've, I've entered a tailspin. Yeah, my bad. Once I said Markel, I think uh, I'm not sure we'd be able to. Uh, Yesterday was a, the 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 anniversary, a four year anniversary of drafting him. Yeah, well, too bad. The uh, <laughs> yeah, I, I guess uh, you know. I'm sorry to all of our listeners. That was a uh, that was a tough podcast. That was a tough series. Maybe uh, you know the good news is summer. Hopefully, you could take some vacation. Maybe. Uh, <laughs> You know, go to the beach or something like that. Take your mind off it. I mean, if if at least the good news is, I'm not sure the playoffs are going to make you feel better, but at least it's not like the Celtics or the the Heat or somebody who are no, going to win the championship watch at this point. Go to the, the finals now. Yeah, I think in terms of like how painful the the team that uh, wins the title, I f- I feel like you know Giannis against the Suns or somebody that'd be a pretty good story. Monty Williams, by the way, he said that uh, his cool play last night he stole from Brett Brown. Big time coaches. Uh, 
That's all I got, though. Yeah. There is, let's end it on this. Going into the offseason, who is the best player that you are confident, 100% confident, will be on the Sixers next year besides Joel Embiid? Best player that I'm... Oh, uh, Tobias Harris. It is Tobias because of the contract, though. It's not good enough, Rich. You need more. Look, look, but... That, that is like the biggest the depressing thing about this here is you thought at least you had a big two to build around and you had how many how many years did we say okay well how do you finish off this big three it was Markel it was LeBron it was Paul George trading <laughs> for Kawhi all of this shit now you're sitting here and you're going well <laughs> how do we get a big two again Zaire no I'm kidding um, hey he the... he said he was going to be Kawhi do you remember when he said that at the end of season. Exit interviews. I do, I do remember that. I, so, I think he was serious too. Well, that well, that was the the whole theory of this team, though, right? Because Daryl got these guys that like Seth and Danny, who who fit for the most part. Like the the fit was better, the um, the shooting was better. But the the unspoken part of that was okay. We're gonna get these role players who are not, you know, we're, we're, you're not gonna confuse them for superstars by any means. Like they're they're limited players. The part that was unspoken about that is, all right, we can maybe win pretty big with these guys, but our best two players have to be awesome. Yeah. And you had one best player who was awesome and another one who was far short of that. Yeah. Yep. And look, Daryl is, I think he, I, I mean, Daryl is very focused on star player acquisition. I think he's going to be very aggressive here over the next year or two to try to get Joel what he needs to win a championship while he's still in his prime. I just thought you had more to work with, and I'm a little concerned. He was still feeling it yesterday, by the way, when he when he did his press conference. Usually, you know, like usually I associate him with being in a pretty good mood. Like maybe it's not always going to be the uh, I'm just riffing, baby, yeah. press conference. But man, he was at the end of it. He was like, yeah, it's it's still pretty raw. This this sucks. So I think that is a, a good snapshot of. Uh, how the people in the organization feel too. It is. Um, I got, I got nothing else. I got no more. I was a little bit rambling, a little bit, uh, a little bit sad, but you know what? That's what this series was. So, well, thank you, Rich, for jumping on. We'll hopefully have some more uplifting podcasts here in the future, but talk to you soon. See you, man.